are in that text this morning in Deuteronomy. You're welcome to turn there with me if you would like, if you brought your Bible with you, if you had it in Sunday school. You know, I was moving this other day, I was knocked it over again, but nobody's here to see it, so it's okay. Um, and as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to actually read the text from which that video is based on, but we're going to read right around it too. We're going to read from verse 1 through verse 9 in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so I invite you to read along with me, to look at it on the screen if you would like, or to just close your eyes and let the word of God wash over you. Are you there? You ready? Book of Deuteronomy? Here we go. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing into the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. As we dive in this morning, I just want to say again, we're going to be doing three weeks on the things that matter most in life. God family, and what we do. And what we do doesn't necessarily just mean our jobs, our vocations, the things we get paid for, but what we do as God followers and as Christ lovers to be able to be the Christians in the world that God calls us to be. Today, though, we're going to be squarely fixed on what matters most, and that is God. Before all other things in life, God is what matters most. If um, I could really wrap up my sermon there and say, God matters most, go home now. But I got plenty of notes right here, so I can't do that. As we journey together, I want to just do something very fast. I want you to repeat after me as we recite this Shema together, this scripture. I'm not having you say anything weird. It's just what we just read, okay? Because this is important for what we're talking about. So we repeat after me. The Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. Oh, come on. Now, friends, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. The Lord alone. We shall love the Lord our God. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. that's right. Worship is communal. We do it together. We respond together. We sing together. And man, did it, can I just say, y'all sounded beautiful today. Man, y'all just, I feel like we got a choir up. We had two choirs today. We had the, the children's choir with us, and now we got us as a choir together lifting our voices. I heard a quote, quote earlier this week in a book I was reading, or rereading, and it's kind of like plagued my thoughts all week, and in a lot of different ways. It started out just about like exercise and nutrition, and then though it's kind of made its way into a lot of other areas of my life. 
And it was by an author, a podcaster, a guy named Tim Ferriss that I like. He, he does a lot with working out, nutrition, stuff like that. And I was just listening to one of his podcasts, or no, I was re-listening to one of his books. And he said, if everyone is doing the same thing and getting subpar results, figure out a way to do something different. Which sounds simple, I know, very basic. But I don't know why, it just hit me as I heard that, how much that means to my life because, you know, I'm constantly flowing with, you know, going with the flow. I almost said flowing with the go. Going with the flow. I'm part of the hoi polloi. I'm, I'm often, you know, just a pretty average person when it comes to life. And that's why I think this quote was pretty providential when it came to my life this week, thinking about this sermon, specifically this scripture. Because if you can imagine it, though, I mean, there's plenty of things that are average about me. Um, there's also, you know, it would not be a far stretch to say I'm a little different. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm the average, I'm actually pretty average outwardly. I'm like the average height for white men. I'm the average weight for my height. And like most other Southern white men, I also drive a pickup truck. Not to say that you have to drive a pickup truck if you're Southern white guy. I'm just, if you were to poll the majority of white guys in the South, there's a lot of pickup trucks going on. And so like, yeah, if you just to look at me, there's not a whole lot that's different um, as far as my physical appearance. But, um, you know, if you were to ask some of my friends, they would, or if you were just hang out with me, actually, maybe for like an hour, you might leave saying, ah, that guy's a little different. <laughs> my mom says I'm special, but, you know, my friends say, yeah, you're just a, a little off center of normal, like just a couple degrees hard to the, you know, some other side. Um, yeah, I, but they, you know, people say I sound like a highly caffeinated auctioneer when I talk because I, I speak so quickly. Um, sure, you might not see many Southern preachers who wear V-necks, flat bills, and their gold chain every day, but my grandfather made that for me, so I keep it on all the time. I know that um, you have not yet seen me in my clerical collar, but I will wear it on occasions and high holy experiences, and I figured if I started showing up on day one with slim straight jeans and a clerical collar, y'all might not come back. So, I, you know, I get it. There, you know, there's, I'm not always the most normal. I, I do like hip-hop and classical music and independent folk music. I'm a charismatic Methodist, which is kind of an oxymoron, if you think about it. Most Methodists aren't very, you know, charismatic. But we in this room, we're not afraid to express ourselves and our love of the Lord. Um, and so, yeah, there's, I'm, a, I'm a little different. But I think some of the best people on earth always had something a little bit different about them. And even some of the most famous people we know weren't always the most normal. Did you know that William Shakespeare wrote his own epitaph for his, um, for his gravestone? And it said, good friends for Jesus' sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man that spares these stones and cursed be he that removes my bones. Before he died, he was putting a curse on people so they wouldn't take his bones from his grave. Thomas Edison taught his wife Morse code so they could communicate with one another at family dinners without anybody knowing. <laughs> that's actually pretty smart. Let's be, let's be honest. Like, that's not a bad idea. Um, Voltaire, the French philosopher, he made it a habit of living near borders so that he could easily escape if his writings angered authorities and he was pursued. John the Baptist ate bugs. Like, I know I've said that before. I just want to convey how gross I think that is and how weird like, we, like, idolize this guy, John the Baptist, point the way to Jesus. We want to be just like John the Baptist. The dude ate bugs. <laughs> so if you're a little different, you're in good company. You know, I think, you know, all of us might have some things that are a little bit different about us. And, and may I point out, the whole purpose of our text this morning was to be people who are different, was to in, like, intentionally choose 
to be different. The book of Deuteronomy is the last book of the Torah. The word Torah in Hebrew literally means law. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The rest of the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible is called the Tanakh. But the most important, the central, the end-all, be-all, the Hebrew Bible for Israelites and for Jews today is the Torah. And this last book of the Torah is basically a long speech by Moses. The whole thing is Moses giving this long speech. and It's kind of broken into three parts. And where in the beginning, he reminds Israel about all the things they just journeyed through, the land and the, being in the wilderness, the exodus, at Marah with the waters, and even before that, about God calling Abraham and setting up these covenants. Moses spends a few chapters talking about that, and then we get into this kind of heart of the matter. Our scripture passage this morning is not only the most known part of Deuteronomy, it's actually the most quoted part of the entire Old Testament. And if we were to go back centuries and even millennia to when the Hebrew Bible was being written, even up till today, I would venture to guess, and I would kind of stake money on the fact that this is the most quoted piece of scripture of all time, the Shema, the thing we just recited together. Because the Israelites and Jews today, they are supposed to pray the Shema twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. And so Moses, before he dies, he's soon to die. This this is Moses' last stand, so to say. He wants to speak to the new generation of Israelites. And it's a new generation because, if you think about it, the people of the Exodus probably aren't around anymore. It was 40 years before this that the Exodus happened. They journeyed through the wilderness. Life expectancy wasn't even 40 years for the average person. And so the people that Moses is addressing are either people who were not there during the Exodus or if they were, are probably really old and were children during that time. And he's imploring these people, this new generation, to be different. To be different in two specific ways. For one, to be different than everybody else in the land in which they are going and not to worship other gods. Apostasy, which is the worship of other gods, and then um, thinking about having one true God are very different. Um, There were a lot of polytheistic religions, which means multiple God religions in the ancient Near East, in the land of Canaan, in the land in which they are going. And Moses is very concerned with making sure that people do not do that. Don't be like everybody else, because everybody else worships all these different gods that do these different things, but you are to be worshiping the one true God. There is one God, it is the one true God. You are to worship that God and that God alone. This is pretty much the central theme of the Old Testament and the most important thing Moses is trying to convey to these people. But Moses is also encouraging them to be different from their parents, to be different from the generation that went before them. He is saying the previous generation strayed from righteousness. The whole reason they had to wander in the desert for 40 years is because They worshiped other gods and they did not trust God. They made graven images like the golden calf. They didn't trust God to provide in the wilderness. When Moses hit the rock for the water, they blamed Moses for bringing them there and that God had abandoned them. And then when God provided manna for them, they complained that it wasn't a Big Big Mac with an extra large fry with a McFlurry on the side. Actually, you can't get McFlurries with a Big Mac. There's two different stores. But they're saying, we don't want just this manna. God's obviously doesn't care about us. He's just, they were always griping about what God was doing. Constantly, at every turn, not honoring, not trusting, not being true to God. And so Moses is saying, be different than we were. 
Be different than those who came before you and be different than those in the land in which you're going to inhabit. Figure out a way to be different. And the key way Moses told them to do this, to be different, was to obey the Shema. As we just saw in that video about the Shema, it is, it is one of the most important prayers the Jewish people and the Israelites could pray. And if you meet some Orthodox Jews, they will still literally have this prayer and the subsequent words that are to follow, we, can't, we don't have time to read them all this morning, wrapped around their hands and wrapped around their heads. If you go to Israel, you will see lots of people walking around with these squares on their heads and on their hands. And this is the literal interpretation of taking this text and keeping it on your heart and on your hands. And funny story, one time I was serving at a church and the associate pastor was preaching one day and he had just um, come back from Israel and he thought it was the coolest thing that you know we actually are literally wrapping around our hearts and hands. But these ropes are like crazy long and they take a long time. But I don't think he practiced it. I think he like bought it in Israel like the first time he was gonna put it on, it was gonna be on stage. And so he's sitting there and like trying to talk to us and trying to get this thing wrapped because it is so long, it is so important for this thing to be secure that we, you know, he missed the entire sermon basically because he's spending all his time wrapping around his head and wrapping around his hand because that's how important it was for the Israelites to keep the Shema close to who they are. So the Shema, when you say it, sounds simple, right? Hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. Listen and obey, O Israel. Literally translated. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the word here for soul is one of my favorite words in Hebrew. I spent an entire class in, in, during um, undergraduate focused on this one word. And in Hebrew, it's the word nefesh. And nefesh is different than actually the word soul in the way we think about it. When it says nefesh in Hebrew, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your nefesh. It means with your entire person, with all that you are. There's actually another great little Bible project video. That's actually who made that video we watched on the word Shema. I'd encourage you to watch it. They were able to summarize in five minutes what took me 20 pages in a 40-minute presentation to say. As we all know, brevity is not my strong suit. But I'll say this. So to nefesh, to love the Lord your God with all your nefesh, it literally means everything that you are because the Hebrews did not separate body, mind, and soul. That didn't come to our Greek writings later on in the New Testament. For the Israelites, nefesh, to love you, Lord your God, was literally everything that you have. The breath in your body, the activity of your life, everything you think, everything you do. Love the Lord your God with all of it. Everything. That's why it was so important that God was the primary thing in their lives. Love the Lord with all that you are. The Israelites heard this, they internalized it, they wrapped it on their heads, wrapped it on their hands, and, and they even said it so many times that it became part of later writings in the Old Testament. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding from Proverbs. Jesus was Jewish, and he believed in this so much that he talked about it all the time. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God and then to love your neighbors as yourself. He also said seek first the kingdom of God. He picked up this idea of loving God with our whole hearts and with everything that we are. And constantly talked about how loving God emanates from the heart. It's not just about our activities or the things that we do, the good deeds, but loving God begins within. That's our big theme in the New Testament, especially in the book of Matthew. That, yeah, lots of people do good deeds. We can still say the same thing today, right? There are plenty of people in this world that do good deeds. The thing that sets us apart, the reason why we think of ourselves as trying to be holy, which literally means set apart, is because we're trying to do it out of love of God. Our love for God compels us to love others. Our love for God compels us, and we begin loving God within our own lives. 
And so I thought this would be a pretty, you know, easy sermon to preach because I think we can all agree, like this is, you know, point numero uno. If I were to poll us all individually about, you know, what takes precedent in the pantheon of priorities, we would all probably say, oh, you should love the Lord. God, God's number one. You know, the first thing we're commanded, love the Lord. I mean, we're pretty familiar with these verses as Christians, if you've been doing this for a little while, that this is kind of old hat, is it not? So my question this morning, my friends, is this. Why in the world don't we live lives that convey that fact? There are some sort of disconnects between our actions and our intentions. And I'm in that boat too. This is not me coming here to call out anybody individually or say like, hey, you all people need to do better. I think I'm ashamed of times my own lives, my own life, I don't have lives, I have one life, where I am not loving the Lord first, foremost, the way I should. And you know how I know that about myself and about us all together? Because every week I either say or hear the following phrases. And feel free to amen along if this is you, because worship is a safe space where we can all admit our faults together. I don't have time to pray because I'm just so busy. When my job slows down, then I will join a small group. We're planning on being in worship more. Just there's so much going on right now between work and school and traveling. I didn't hear any amen, so maybe I'm just the only person that feels this way. If so, I can just stop this sermon now and just go and talk to myself in the mirror. <laughs> Does anybody else ever say those things or feel that way about their lives? I've got so much going on right now that I just, I don't have time for Jesus. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I love the Lord. I love the Lord with all my heart, but I just don't have time for the Lord with all my heart. You know what's the craziest thing about that, though? To hear those own words come out of my mouth or to hear those words come out of your mouth? Because with one breath, I will make some sort of excuse about why I'm not taking faith seriously, why we aren't in worship regularly, why we aren't reading our scriptures and our devotion daily, why we just can't seem to find a single second in the day to pray. And then with the very next breath, I'll ask, hey, but you see that Netflix show? I watched like three episodes last night. It was awesome. Uh-oh. Some people laugh because, you know, I'm not the only one in that boat. I can tell you that right now. We'll say we don't have time for faith. Yet I watched like a whole weekend's worth of sports or I don't have time to go to church, but I made sure to make it to my hunting camp or to my friends gathering or to whatever it might be. We say we don't have time to pray or to, to spend time alone with God, but then we tell people about our workouts or our tennis match or insert hobby here, whatever that might be for you. Don't get me wrong. Those things aren't bad. I like Netflix. I like to fish. I like to play sports. I like to work out. But do I love those things more than I love God? And here's how I can tell if that is the case or not. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you will love the things. You can tell what you love based on where your treasures are. And as most in this room can attest, there's nothing in this life that is more precious than our time. Sometimes we might think it's our money. Sometimes we might think, but the only thing that we can't get more of is time. And so what are we doing with our time will tell us what are the things we love the most. And so are we coming together on Sunday mornings 
And when the preacher asks us to repeat the words that he's saying, are we thinking about, do I actually believe, is that true? I mean, I didn't mean to trick you. Probably would have said it either way, though, I I bet. Because we're really good at saying we love the Lord. We're also really good at not showing we love the Lord. And I don't mean to, to come up here and just be all hellfire and brimstone. You know me, that's not my type of preaching style. I love talking about love and grace and nice things, make you laugh. But man, if love is not convicting sometimes, right? If God doesn't give us wake-up calls that we need, and maybe this is it for you this morning because this week it has been for me. Sometimes love is, is tough. Sometimes it is, it is encouraging in a strong, emphatic way. My parents loved me when I shot out the window of my, friend, my neighbor's car with my BB gun, but they told me I was wrong and they made sure I knew not to do that again. I did not do that again, I can tell you that. But they didn't stop loving me. And so let me say this. God will never stop loving us. Despite our inability to love God fully all the time, God will always love us fully all the time. There is nothing you can do, no sin you've committed, no laziness on our own parts, whatever it might be, that can separate us from the love of God. Literally nothing can separate you from the love of God. But lots of things can separate us from how we love God. God's always gonna love us, but are we always gonna love God? Are we professing with our mouths something we do not practice with our lives? Do we really love God more than everything else? And it's not gonna change overnight. I don't want you to leave here and be like, oh, I'm now gonna go love God all my heart. And then whenever you mess up or fail or put something else before God, you're like, well, obviously I can't do it. I'm not gonna try anymore. Behavior does not change because of a sermon. Behavior changes because of practice. Because of doing the things over and over and over that make us become the people we want to be. And so I... I'm tired of lukewarm Christianity. I'm tired of a I'm sick of us being lukewarm Christians. Not just at Dauphin Way, but around the world. Let our faith be more serious than it has been in the past. Let us be different than those who came before us. We are always chastising the Christians and the groups that came before us. As they didn't get things right. They did things wrong. We are better. Than, let's actually be different and be different than the world around us. We can be in the world and not of the world, right? So how are we being different, showing love of Jesus Christ? How are we actually loving God more than we're loving watching Netflix or going and doing things that may or may not honor God? Let us actually love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our nefesh, with all of our might. I implore you, I implore all of us, be different. Because God has brought the kingdom to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. The soil is rich and we are in a promised land because God is with us and giving us opportunities every day to make the kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. And we can tell if we're actually doing that when we look at what our time is committed to. George Bernard Shaw, and I'll leave us, you know, with this right here, said a quote that I just love. The reasonable person tries to make themselves look like the world. The unreasonable person tries to make the world 
more like themselves. Therefore, all progress depends on unreasonable people. If we want the world to be different, we have to be different. If we want the kingdom of God to be known, then we have to act like people of the kingdom. We have to be willing to set ourselves apart, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you love us, and we ask that you help us to love you. Help us to give of ourselves now and always in ways that honor who you are. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have rebelled against your love. We have not heard the cry of the needy. We have not loved our neighbors. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.